Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hey, Peter. How's it going? I'm doing well. I have had a relatively productive Sunday here as we continue quarantine lockdown like I'm sure all of you are if you're listening in April 2020. But we're moving past that and we're talking about what we're up to. And I am writing an article about knee pain in cyclists at the moment. Yeah, I'm pretty annoyed. You sort of threw off my whole casual Sunday thing. Woke up, I was like, all right, great. It's going to be a really chill day. No, no stress, no work. And suddenly someone's up in the office getting on his computer at 9 a.m. Yeah, I had a really... Uh I had to the hour, sort of to the minute list of things I wanted to get done this morning before I got out for my, uh, we'll call it a recovery ride. It was supposed to be endurance, but Molly took me on a 20 kilometer run and I took her on a hilly route for the 20 kilometer run. So we, yeah, thanks for that. Well, it was both ways, I guess, but it was quite enjoyable. Some of the hills I grew up riding and gravel roads. I feel like we also, we wrestled a treadmill up a flight of steps. So I feel like that always counts as like a bonus strength workout. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's a big part of the philosophy here at the Consummate Athlete is that that stuff, uh, especially if you can do it with family members and, you know, I would count that towards errands and stuff as well. So, yeah, I think that's uh, strength training and teamwork and uh, even good marriage builder. Definitely. Yeah. Or marriage ender. I don't know. I mean, well, if you, I mean, if if, you dropped if it. If that treadmill slipped, I guess <laughs> there'd be a couple ways that could end, I guess. Yep, yep. Well, it's actually, it's interesting. The The woman we have on the podcast today, Alyssa Gadeski, and I were talking a bunch about sort of similar to that in our interview, just kind of uh, with everything going on right now, sort of how do you make the most of training in any form, really, when, you know, you're starting to cut down on your ability to do super long runs or super long rides because you want to be sticking closer to home. And, you know, you, you maybe don't want to be doing a 120 mile ride which is normally what she'd be doing as a I think it's a 33 time Ironman finisher she's a professional triathlete she coaches right. um, she does ultra trail runs um, and while she's not in an area that's super locked down you know she's still trying to kind of cut down on the amount of training she's doing outside and obviously strength work at the gym is cut out and swimming Swim. yeah yeah so, yeah, we have a really good sort of chat about those types of things. Did she get a swimmer yet? She did not get a swimmer. But, oh, my gosh, like everyone has to listen to this. If you have any interest in swimming at all, her advice, at, towards the end of the episode, we sort of hit, like, her key top pieces of advice for, for swim, bike, and yeah. run. And they are gold, like, absolute solid gold. The swim You've advice. You've been telling me this for weeks, so they better be good. I am so excited to have everyone listen to this one. Um, yeah, I think it, you know, it's, it was a really fun interview, lots of sort of chatting through her shift from professional life. I believe she was an accountant before switching to being a professional triathlete, um, and just sort of how that played out. And she and I have very similar backgrounds in terms of not really doing sports or really much as kids. So I, I always enjoy hearing about that. Um, and actually she also has a podcast, the Iron Woman podcast. She co-hosts and I was actually recently on there talking about my latest book, The Athlete's Guide to Sponsorship. Um, so we'll include a link to that in the show notes so everyone can go check that out. Anything else going on, Peter? I don't think so. I mean, you've been doing a lot of talking about the sponsorship book. You've been doing courses for some of the cycling associations. So yeah, that's if anyone really has fun. a group of athletes or... I don't know who who else would be open to this. A group of influencers, a group of is it a herd or a group when <laughs> a, you put a influencers, of influencers together? Yeah, definitely a gaggle. That yeah. sounds that sounds closer. Oh, and this coming Saturday, uh, April eighteenth, we're having the How to Be Outside Virtual Summit. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm excited for. I mean, I'm terrified for it because you've put me as the anchor in a, a group of three people that are pretty good at motivating and getting excited about talking and stuff. So we'll see how I can do there, bringing her home. Yeah, so all the info for that, we'll have links in the show notes for how to watch that. How are we brought, oh, you're, gonna, you're not going to tell us? Yeah, well, we're broadcasting it on Zoom, on YouTube, on Facebook Live. But Zoom is probably the best quality yeah. and yes. most for sure. 
Yes, definitely. Okay, so we'll um, put that link in the show notes. Yeah, okay. but then after that, it'll be available on YouTube and everything. We'll probably even put it out as an episode, I think. Um, yeah, we'll see how I do with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe we'll <laughs> at cut least yours the first, out. Yeah, at the least first the first three. three. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely tune in for that. That's 8 p.m. this Saturday, April 18th. Um, yeah, it's going to be really fun. I think it's a it's a good way to kind of get the community together. I was really excited for the How to Be Outside speaker series that we were going to have here in Collingwood at the Gaiety Theater. That's now shifted to October for obvious reasons. But I thought, you know, it'd still be fun to just get together online the night we were supposed to have it. So I think it's going to be a cool event. All right. Without further ado, let's get into this interview with Alyssa Gadeski. All right, Alyssa, hi, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Hi, Molly, I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Oh my gosh, we have had a whirlwind since the last time we talked, and things are very different, but today I really want to, I want to focus on, you know, how you got where you are being a, now, do you go by Iron Man or Iron Woman when someone asks? So I'm very used to Iron Man, but I have, since I now co-host the Iron Women podcast, um, you know, I think we use that more often than not now. So, um, but either technically would be something I'd be okay with. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. We haven't actually had a pro triathlete on the Consummate Athlete podcast, but to me, as far as Consummate Athletes go, I actually think of Ironman triathlon as sort of the most Consummate Athlete sport that you can do because you have to be, I mean, just so proficient in not just swim, bike, run, but then also sort of everything around being a good athlete, because otherwise you're going to be injured almost immediately. Um, Having done a couple myself, I can very safely say that it is the hardest thing ever. So yeah, it's a, it's a whole, it's a different sport, but really there's so many layers, like you said, that it is, yeah, it's like an onion that never stops unpeeling, right? Because of all the layers. Yeah, and you know, if you get one thing wrong, right? Like if your if your flexibility is kind of off or like, you know, you're not particularly strong or your, you know, eating is just like a little bit not dialed, that can be a huge that can be a difference between like your season being over or you winning a race. No, it really can and I mean, I think that's why I've I've done 33 of them now and so I still feel like there are, I mean, there's maybe one I could pick out as like, I nailed that one, but I, I got a flat during the cycling portion of that. So it wasn't even like a perfect race, you know, and that's obviously a little bit out of my control, but it is, it's, there's always one little thing going on with whether it's training or racing or whatever. And it's, it's a butterfly effect. They Mm -hmm. all kind of, you know, tie in. Yeah. So I want to go way back. How, Give me like the short version of how the heck you got to this point where you're a professional Ironman triathlete. Because I know you had like a life before this too. I did, yeah. And so I was really lucky that it's kind of ironic because I actually, I grew up playing sport. I grew up playing competitive soccer, but not super competitively. Like my parents wanted to keep it contained to like high school level. And, you know, I was on a club team that traveled, but I wasn't one of those children who was going around the world to be playing in these like select select teams you know every time I wanted to do it my parents would be like no 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 so that also made it so that I didn't end up really even trying to get recruited like we didn't know about that process so when I went to college I was like a great athlete from all of those years of playing soccer but I wasn't going to play any college sport which you know um now in hindsight was good at the time it was a little bit of a point of contention I think but Mm -hmm. Um, so that led me to my college years where I, I knew I wanted to be active. I actually went to the, um, U S Naval Academy for my first two years of undergrad where you have to play a sport. So I picked up lacrosse there and then they actually have a marathon team. And so that was like the initial catalyst for me from being an athlete who, you know, had played team sports and did the occasional road race with her dad to an endurance athlete because I wanted to try out for the marathon team. And they said, you know, typically we ask people to qualify for the Boston Marathon as like the, you know, the, the benchmark. And, oh, no big deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, um, and I didn't know what any of that meant. So I was like, oh, okay. Like, okay. You know, but they were like, but Everyone who wanted to do that ran the Chicago Marathon. This was the fall time, and they, it was past the Chicago Marathon. So they said, there's one more race that our 
team members are doing. It's called the JFK 50 mile. And if you go and you just finish that, we'll take you on the team. <laughs> so that was three weeks away. And I, in all of my like, you know, confidence and naivety, um, walked out the door. I was like, okay, I can do it. It was 2000 and what year was it then? Probably like 2005, six, maybe six, 2006. And so, you know, these things weren't big then. So I could literally sign up for this three weeks before the race. And I walked out the door that day. I ran 16 miles and I was like, okay, I ran 16 miles. I was like, I can surely run 50. Like, I don't know what that was about. So, um, three weeks later, yeah, I ran the race and I didn't do great. I didn't do awful. Like, I think I was, I think I did technically win the like 20 and under age group because I think by default, how many, there was, I think two of us at that age running. Right. Um, but I woke up the day after I couldn't barely walk. And I was like, this is it. Like I, I love this. So, okay. What about it made you love that? Because that sounds terrible. I, you know, it was definitely JFK is a very special race. It's one of the oldest 50 mile races that happens in the U S and it's a huge field. Um, even back then, even though it didn't fill up, it was hundreds of runners. And so just to have that experience of running with people through, you know, the Appalachian trail, and then you're on a flat towpath for a marathon and there's a ton of support. And I was at the pace where I was around people. So it was like almost, you know, I think when people start road running for the first time and they're around all these people, like you get those endorphins from everyone else. And, you know, in a road marathon or a road 10 miler or something, you would have that for, you know, an hour and a half to four hours. Here we had it for like, I had it for nine and a half hours. I was like, oh. this is so much fun. Like I got to just hang out with people that I liked for nine and a half hours. Right. So it was, I think it was just that experience. Um, and like seeing how things shook out, I was like, I had no idea what I was doing and I did pretty well for women, you know, like I was like, I bet if I actually put my mind to it and did some training and learned what the heck to be eating during this ran right? more than 16 miles. Right. <laughs> right. So that, you know, it just, I was like, there's more of these, you know, and I started to really kind of investigate that. And around this time too, I was also leaving the Naval Academy. So um, I wanted to transfer. I decided the military wasn't for me. And I was going to go to the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia, where I'm actually um, is my home now again. And Charlottesville is nestled in the Blue Ridge Mountains trails. There's like a 20 mile trail of single track that goes around the entire city. It's like a mecca for people who love trail running and that kind of thing. So I definitely landed in the right place at the right time. And I had a few key mentors there in Charlottesville that also took me in and taught me more about ultra running. I'm trying to keep this quick, I swear. Um, no, I, I love graduated, this. graduated from college, moved up to Baltimore, where I realized that to make friends my age and to be around people my age, um, ultra running at that time was not the place to be. So, okay. Yeah. And so, and Baltimore City also, they actually surprisingly have some great access to trails, but um, not like I was used to in Charlottesville and the roads were just definitely kind of the place to be. So I fell in with a road running group there and there was triathletes there. Um, and I had picked up, like I had dated a guy in college who had me do a triathlon and I had kind of, you know, pieced it together a little bit because, um, I was, I was clearly fit enough to kind of pick that up. I had swum when I was young and whatever, but I wasn't doing it seriously by any means until I moved to Baltimore um, and fell in with this group of a little bit more serious triathletes and they were more my age and things like that. So I kind of like the same thing. People were signing up for an Ironman and I was like, well, I've run 50 milers. Like, sure, I could do the same thing. Like, this seems better because now I don't have to run the entire time, right? So... I was just very, you know, the, the community in Baltimore was a huge part of my success as an athlete. Um, their willingness to, like the people in that group, to take in newcomers and to show them the ropes, to take you out on the roads, cycling and running. And that's a, you know, a huge barrier for people that I definitely took for granted in those early years when I was learning. Like, it's not 
everyone doesn't have a few, a handful of people that are willing to ride with them on these, you know, 100 mile rides um, every weekend, right? Mm -hmm. So that was super, super helpful. And as I started doing more triathlon, I did my first Ironman and I was like, kind of the same thing. I was like, you know, maybe if I like knew what I was doing a little bit more, I could be better, right? So Wait, which one was your first one? I did Louisville. Me too. Okay. Yes. I think that's a great first timer. It is. Timer. Yeah. Really for... hot, really awful, but yes. flat-ish. Yes. And now, I mean, we probably did it in, well, what, what year did you do it? Did you do it when it was still in August? Yeah. Yeah. It was probably like 2010 maybe that I did it. Okay, I think I was 2009. So August time frame though, which is always hot. Now it's in October. So I think that helps. Although they had that one year, then that was too cold. So who knows? But um, I did that. And that was kind of where I realized like, okay, you know, looking at my athletic history, I'm like, okay, if I want to get better at something, the logical thought process is I need a coach, you know, and I was very used to having a coach from my days in my team sports. And then when I was in Charlottesville too, some of the mentors there had kind of given me some training plans and things. I was like, okay, this actually exists. Like you can be an adult human and have a coach for sports that are individual. And um, I started looking into that and that was how I met Hilary Biscay, who is an Ironman champion, an Ultraman world champion. And as soon as I realized that she was out there racing Ironman professionally, but also did uh, ultra marathons and was kind of doing these crazy other endurance events. I was like, I think this is, this is the person for me. So in 2011, we started working together officially. And it was I mean, we, you know, we're kind of two peas in a pod, we joke that we are like twins separated by seven years, because we have the same birthday. And just very similar mindsets with things, um, especially when it comes to endurance sports. But once I got linked up with her, she really helped accelerate, you know, my abilities for triathlon. And it was pretty quick that we, uh, you know, I started to race more and see there were women I was racing against who the next season would be racing as a pro. And I was like, well, I wasn't that far behind them. And now they're a professional, right? So... I had the wheels turning after seeing that and Hillary and I had talked about it and she said, you know, I think if you put in the work and you're willing to do it, that's absolutely something that's within your reach, but let's work and save some money and, you know, do all of that stuff while you're still in the corporate world. You can still kind of save some money um, and just, it's going to require, you know, she, she doesn't shy away from telling people that it's going to be very hard, you know, and, um, after I guess about three years of, of working with her, um, you know, a lot of early wake ups, it was a lot of like, I was working eight to six type of job and then doing workouts before and after. And finally I was like, okay, had qualified to race as a pro. And I finally felt like I was burning the candle at both ends, trying to balance it all. And it was, you know, it was that time where I wanted to give myself a fair shot to see what would be possible athletically, then it was time to to drop the corporate job, to say the least. So um, in 2014, like January 1st of, of 2014, I uh, packed up my little Chevy tracker and drove back down south to Charlottesville, Virginia, where I was going to kind of set up my base camp and race and train full time. And I started taking on athletes, um, and from there, you know, my coaching business with Hillary has expanded, which has been great. And luckily I've never had to really, you know, look back in that sense. Um, and then since then I've continued racing Ironmans. And as I said, I've, I think I'm at 33, it might be 34 after New Zealand actually this year. I have to, I should sit down and recount, but, um, and then I've also happily maintained, my love of the trails and ultra marathons and more and more recently been finding more ways to get back out there and kind of make a, a career and a name for myself with that stuff too. So awesome. Oh my gosh. I have so many different questions. <laughs> um, the first one just comes up with, as, as soon as you mentioned like ultra marathon and shifting into Ironman to me, I found like having done both of them, I found that the ultra community is such a different like vibe and attitude than Ironman. 
how did you find that and like go between the two? Oh, I mean, it's like night and day, but yeah. And you know, I think a lot of it is the gear and it's just the, you know, because I think both, both sides have very, you know, type A personalities. It might be shown in different ways with the ultra running crowd, but they are for sure. But I think the gear edge of triathletes really puts like us over the edge in that sense, because it's just like so many more opportunities to really be nerdy to say the least. Right. And like really just dig in there to those kinds of details where when you're with running runners and the trails and that kind of thing, like you just can't dig in past a certain level of like details and nerdiness. Right. So I think that's what puts it over the edge. And I've always just kind of, I probably would consider myself more of the ultra runner mindset. Um, but I get a kick out of triathletes. Like I think it's, it's cool when people love to do, to dig into those levels of the nitty gritty. And Mm -hmm. I am, I was a math major in, in college. So I like the science aspect and I like, you know, the analytical side that triathlon can offer. Um, but it is like, there's, there's so much there. It can be overwhelming to people if you're not kind of ready to be guided through like the personalities you'll, you'll encounter. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I think it also just depends on what your, what your local community even has to offer. It seems like you've, you've kind of found a good like niche and like a good triathlon community. I, I've kind of come in and out of triathlon in the past 15 years or 10, yeah, between 10 and 15 years at this point, because I'd get into it because I love triathlon, but then I couldn't find other triathletes with whom to train. So I'd end up like going towards cycling because I found a cycling crew or now like running because I have a running crew. Um, But it's hard to find a good community of triathletes. It is. And I, you know, the more I have been in the community, I think it is because triathlon tends to be a pretty transient crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, most people don't stick with Ironman for decades. Um, the way you can kind of stick with cycling or, or running, you know, and you see that a lot. Most people want to kind of do it to check it off the list. But it is, I mean, Ironman's, Ironman's hard. Like it's a lot, a lot of time. And compared to when I train for um, something on the trails or an ultra or whatever, it's, you know, I, I train a lot then too, for sure. But like, there's just a different aspect when you have the driving back and forth to the pool and the going out on your bike, but oh, you need to, your chain, something's wrong. And oh, you need to take it to the shop to do this. And oh, also you got a flat and, 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 right? Like the stress and of the three sports really just, it's hard. I mean, there is no other way to do it, say it other than it's hard. And I think when people have jobs and families and stuff like that, it, it becomes something they do for a while. And I think, you know, it's few and far between when you see people who successfully make it that lifestyle. And if you find those people, you like want to hang on to them because they can show you how it's done because I do think it's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you might have to change your mindset in some ways about the, some of the things that can be overwhelming with Ironman, but it's, it's possible, but it's rare. So yeah. yeah, I think that's where we are in the sport. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I want to come back to the, the burning the candle at both ends side of things. I know so many people struggle with the morning workouts, the morning wake-ups, the sneaking in that stuff. How did you do that when, when that was your, your thing? Because, I mean, that's what most people who are going to do in Ironman that are listening to this are, that's the boat they're in. So what advice would you give those people knowing what you know now. I'm not great at sugarcoating. <laughs> no, that's great. I think yeah. that's so important. Um, I guess like, you know, I always tell people that this is the work that has to be done. So if you want to get to that finish line, this is just simply what you're going to have to do. You know, and I can give you like the don't hit snooze and the lay out your things ahead of time and have your meals prepped and all of that will help you, right? But at the end of the day, you have to be motivated enough within your own head and your own heart to get out of bed when your alarm goes off. And that's what it comes down to. And so I think for people who really want to do Ironman for reasons that aren't within themselves, it becomes very hard. Definitely. And those early wake up, yeah, the like, yeah, you have to get out of bed at 4, 4.30 in the morning because you want to um, and you want to get it done. And 
that is what it requires. You know, I think there are coaches out there who will sell you a eight hours to Ironman plan, right? And you might get to the finish line and things like that, but I would say most people, by far, you know, the majority of people who are doing an Ironman and, and finishing it strong and feeling good are not, you know, skipping by with an hour a day. Totally. Yeah, we, so when Peter and I did Ironman um, Whistler so in Canada back in 2017, we did it on like one of the, one of those like short plans, but that was because we both had 10 years of endurance sport exactly. already and like ride a hundred miles was not like a shock to the system or like swim for an hour. We're like, okay. Um, exactly. Your athlete age counts a lot in exactly. Ironman. I, I can say that for sure. And that's a real thing. Like if you get someone who's 40 and has never really run before outside of a few local 5Ks, like their progress as a triathlete is going to be much different than someone who grew up playing sports, maybe played something competitively in college, and then, you know, took time off to have a family and then is now doing it. Like, even if they had a 10-year gap in their athletic history, it's going to be that that muscle memory really doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. And that's huge for triathlon because it is three sports that, you know, year over year, that progress and that endurance builds so much that, yeah, the muscle memory, muscle memory helps a lot. Definitely. So kind of coming back to this idea of like, you can't, you just can't train in an hour a day for an Ironman. Do you tend to recommend that people maybe rethink the, like, I want to do an Ironman right now decision and go like, maybe half Ironman or maybe Olympic distance makes sense first. Just a thought. (laughs) I do. I mean, there's certainly people who want to do it to check it off the list. And, you know, they're not really concerned about a lot of other things. But for people who are interested in the triathlon lifestyle and making that sport work for them, the best way to do it is to, I find, really sit down and think about like what kind of time you have to give to the sport, right? Mm -hmm. And then like you said, like, what does that line up with? Like, are you able to get out for a two hour ride on the weekend or are you able to get out for four or five hours, you know, and that, and then you kind of explain to them, like you could finish a 70.3 on these hours, but you could really learn to race the Olympic distance in those hours, you know? And like, so some people are empowered and find like their reason from sport for so many different things. So it just, I think, it helps to be as open as you can about like the realistic expectations with what they're going to get out of the time they can offer it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for sure, I think there's people better suited to who will have more mental energy for the other things in their life. If they stuck to half distance and below, and then they'd find like they actually not only enjoyed that more, but then had more enjoyment with their family and things because they just weren't so stressed about missing like, the other training that they should be doing for the full Ironman, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's tough to balance though. It's, it's really hard. Yeah, absolutely. Hey Molly, I've been getting this question a lot lately. When is the next Shred Girls book coming out? I'm so glad you asked. As it happens, Allie's Rocky Ride is coming out this July. If you're curious about what the Shred Girls are up to, in the follow-up to Lindsay's Joyride, the Shred Girls reunite at Allie's house for mountain bike training that builds up to an elite competition. And even though Allie grew up mountain biking with her professional biker older brothers, she's anxious. Her brothers always make her feel like she's not talented enough. Could they be right? She'll just have to find out. Let me tell you, this book gets super exciting. Pre-order is open now. You can head over to shred-girls.com. Pre-order links are there. Check out the shop. Maybe pick up some Shred Girls swag to to go with it. And people could look up the pre-order on Amazon if they're so disposed. They're on there shopping anyhow. Anywhere books are sold. So I want to come back to your racing. And I was wondering, I, I wanted to ask about like both the worst and the best races you've had, because I feel like I've, having only done two Ironmans, I've had the worst and the best. Um, so if you had to pick your like absolute worst race, which what's your like bad race story? I had actually, I went back to Louisville, <laughs> the scene of the crime. And I think I had a great race there. Um, you know, as my first one that I was like, okay, let me go back. It was actually my first race with Hillary as officially my coach. So I think I just had 
a lot. I had, you know, and looking back, it's like probably the same hopes and expectations that everyone has when they hire a coach. They're like, okay, I've been working with this coach for nine months. I'm doing better than I ever have in my training. Like, I'm just going to, I don't even need to think. Like, this is just going to race itself and I'm going to qualify for Kona, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And that's not how Ironman works. Like, it's still really, really hard every time, no matter what. So that race, um, so it was probably like 2000. 11 or 2010 when I went back there and um it was like a slap in the face like it was like you know what you can do all the right training and check all you know cross the t's dot the i's in your training and race day still might not be handed to you and I don't even think it was like catastrophically bad but it was just nothing felt good you know I made the mistake of once I I got in my head once things weren't going as fast as I wanted to be and then decided to stop eating and drinking for a little bit. And then, you know, like those things that you just shouldn't do, I was doing because I was just, I hadn't, you know, not that I have now, but I really hadn't fine tuned like the mastery of the mental side of the Ironman. So mm-hmm. that stands out, you know, I, I vividly, like when I think about that race, I think about sitting on a curb for like 20 minutes just to like, you know, and Hillary was actually racing that race too. And she ran by me. She's like, what are you doing? You know? And I was just like, I mean, I was out of sorts, like just not myself, you know? And I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, this is, you know, it was just upsetting. So she kind of snapped me out of that. I got off the curb and ended up finishing. And it was, you know, again, it was fine. But that was kind of like the, the worst all around. I haven't had any, um, you know, races where, it's been necessarily like a catastrophic failure, but um, although there was the one in Taiwan where none of my things arrived, and that was an interesting one, but that's like probably a whole separate. Story. Yeah, that's that's not, that's act of God. That's not even that's not on you. Um, but my best race, you know, I think would be there are two that stand out. I had a really really great day. at Ironman Copenhagen back in 2016 I think Um, and it might have been that same year actually at Ironman Wisconsin or it was 2017 Um, and both of those days were days where I you know racing as a professional it's definitely a different race than the age group race and it's I'm not like a natural swimmer so a lot of times on my bad days I'm left behind in the swim and playing the day to catch up right and both of those days were days where my swim was like spot on I'm I made the right decisions I stayed with the right pack and I I got out of the water in contention to actually be a part of the race on those days and then everything fell you know and that clearly that does it puts you in a good mental space you are really on top of then you know nutrition and hydration and things like that because you're in it and you're like oh my god this is like the day right so it was just not that it didn't feel hard or whatever. Like I was still, you know, wanting to die on the marathon as yeah. I was trying to, to go through. Um, but it just, it, it fell into place and it felt like I was racing, you know? Um, yeah. and so those two, those two definitely stand out for me. I love it. And you've mentioned nutrition a few times. Could you maybe talk about the absolute, complete, utter importance of nutrition when you're talking about Ironman, both around, like, you know, broad scope, so around the race, but, like, also, like, in life and then actually in the race? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll say first off, I am by no means, you know, I was a math major again, right, so I have no um, official background on this, but I will say that I truly, truly believe that my upbringing in team sports and having really, really great coaches and potentially never being pushed to compete at a high level as a young person really helped to put me in a good mindset just around nutrition and fueling for my adult athlete life. Mm -hmm. Like I just have never thought twice um, about things other than to be like, do I have enough with me? Right. Um, I'm when, you know, Ironman is so much activity, (laughs) like no matter what end of the training spectrum you fall on, right? Like, yeah, you are going to be doing a lot of exercise. And I just feel really strongly that like, it's, 
it's very hard to overeat as a Ironman triathlete. It's pretty much the um, only reason I wanted to be an Ironman right. triathlete. <laughs> side note, entirely yeah. so I could just eat whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I just, I mean, I am. I'm always eating some days, you know, but I feel like I have had a successful career of endurance sports because of that. I've, you know, knocked on wood, had very, very few minor injuries, um, and it is because I, I follow, I don't, you know, I, I don't follow a diet. I don't hop on the scale and worry about numbers and things like that. I try to never be hungry and I eat before, during, and after all of my exercise, no matter what. And that might be Oreos one day. It might be, you know, something a little bit more kind of athlete friendly, nutritious or something the next day. But it's, yeah, for me, Learn And, you know, I think that's actually become like a huge strength to me within racing because my stomach can handle anything. You know, it's not used to very and I I get it that people have allergies and restrictions for other reasons. Right. But um, I mean, I joke that I have an iron stomach because I could probably eat like a chili corn dog (laughs) in the middle of the Iron Man and be fine. Right. And so like and I swear that's become because I have let myself do a lot of that through training and um, you know, just through all of the sporting that I have done. So I think it's a huge strength, um, Mm -hmm. that, and just like traveling, like you, I go to a race in Europe and I don't know what's going to be available on course. And if my nutrition drops, like I want to be able to take whatever I can find to eat. And so that's, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a strength to not have to be super hyper focused on exactly what it is other than just get me the calories and I can keep going. Definitely. Yeah, my absolute worst race ever was my first Ironman, and it was because no one had told me anything about sports nutrition. And on the bike, I literally ate a pack of shot blocks. That is it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Like, hit the run, and, like, my stomach revolted. So, like, not only was I bonked, I was actually, like, nauseous because I was so hungry, but I couldn't read it as hungry. I was. Oh, yeah. Like, just a wreck. Um, I finished, and I needed two, like, two bags of IV fluids in the med tent because I was so wrecked from it. Um, and then I'll say, like, last the 2017 one that I did, I ate a lot and improved my time by, like, four and a half hours. So... <laughs> there you go. It worked, right? On, like, half the, half the training hours that I was doing back when I was in my early 20s. So, <laughs> nutrition really matters for these long-distance things. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, so I, I'm obsessed with, like, the how days play out for people. So what does, like, a normal day of training look like for you now? Like, walk, walk me through, like, a day in the life. So I – it's I guess a, a normal, like, Ironman training day um, would often be – one of my least favorite days I'll tell you about is the double bike day. So, oh. yeah, <laughs> you can imagine. So – I would get up, um, and usually if if I have a full, like, normal day of training, I try to be starting my first thing at 7 a.m., and that was just a trick I learned for myself when I did leave the corporate world and I had less structure all of a sudden that I realized, like, I still wanted to be keeping myself accountable and on some kind of a schedule, so, um, you know, I I swim most days because um, that's, yeah, I found that I need to be swimming quite a bit to keep up my my ability to stay with the pack in the swim. So I usually would get up and be on the pool deck um, at 7. If I, you know, between 7, 7.15, I'll, like, give myself a little bit of a cushion. Um, And then probably at least an hour swim, maybe up to 75 minutes or so. Now, Um, do you eat breakfast before you swim? I'm always so interested in this. I do. So I'll wake up. And, I mean, admittedly, I am a morning person. So I don't mind. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So to be on deck at seven, I'd probably wake up at five thirty, five forty-five, depending. Just so, yeah, because I like to make the coffee and I have to take the dog for a walk and um, I'll eat. Like for most people, I feel like they would consider it a full breakfast. Like I might have yogurt, granola, and like toast and jam or something before that swim. Um, and then after the swim. Like if, especially if I'm in the middle of a big block where I am just constantly exercising and I'm constantly hungry, 
you know, I do, I stop for breakfast number two or something. I pick up a bagel sandwich or something, um, on the way home from the swim and be shoving that in my mouth kind of thing. And then probably hop on the bike, um, you know, for the first ride of the day. So depending on the time of year, I might be outside, I might be inside on the trainer, but we would do like a nothing too crazy on double bike day for the first one. It's like a maybe six by six minute of hill repeats with keeping your cadence, you know, 50 to 60 RPM or something and power just around Ironman power kind of thing for those. So again, nothing too taxing, but just enough to make you start to get a little bit tired. Mm -hmm. Um, then I would have a nice little break. So in that I would do my athletes, like coaching them, responding to emails, writing some plans. I'd eat lunch, you know, take the dog for a walk again, play with her, whatever needs to be done. And then, uh, probably like early to mid afternoon, I'd hop back on the bike for the second bike of the day. And that again is probably, you know, similar to the first, maybe 60 to 90 minutes and, but it would be hard. So it would have like a, an hour of a build or like a hard 30 minute time trial or something and that. And I, I've never, I definitely have never mastered that kind of a bike yet. Um, so that is still, <laughs> Oh, I don't know if anyone ever really can claim to do it, but I think some people just like it more than others. And so they get excited. Whereas for me, I'm like, yeah, this, this is just Ugh. hard every single time. So, um, and then, you know, often again, if it's in a big block, I might be running off the bike, um, three to five miles, probably depending on where I am, maybe easy, maybe doing a little build or something like that. But okay. then it's back. Yeah. Then it's dinner and athletes again. And, um, I am an early riser. So yeah, I'm not up for late. So usually by like 9 PM for sure. I'm thinking about bed and in bed, eyes closed by 10. Nice. Okay. Very important question. What's lunch and what kind of dog? Oh, okay. So lunch, I, I do a lot of like grilled cheese and soups. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Like, yeah. I've been going through a ramen phase again too. Like grilled cheese and ramen is really good. So I try and keep it simple. It could be leftovers from the night before too. So, um, you know, kind of whatever's in the fridge might get thrown into a salad or something. Um, then my dog, my dog's name is Ramona and she is a brown dog. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're not too sure. She's a mix of everything for sure. Like from chow chow to lab and she is just precious. She, um, yeah, she is precious. So <laughs> I, I ask everyone who's on the podcast because I've been campaigning for a dog for uh, seven years now and we're, we're theoretically we're there. We're, we're on a list. We're waiting. I think I heard too. You're trying to get enough reviews, right? I got to yes. pump this up. So exactly. Okay. <laughs> I keep saying when we hit 300, I get a dog. Yeah. I'm going to be doing my part to make sure that happens. Cause I think, yeah, in this time, everyone needs a dog. I again. know. Right. I actually, so I will say like, I I've waffled in the past week basically because I'm like, Oh gosh, should we get a dog right now? And everything is so up in the air. And then I'm like, Yes, because I really need that in my life right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they are just, they have no idea what's going on in the world ever. And other than the fact that you are the best person that they, yeah. like, want to be with. So I need that, yeah. yeah. I keep telling yeah. Peter, I'm like, I need something to give me unconditional support to take some of the work off of you. Like, <laughs> lighten his workload a little. Like, <laughs> So, we'll, we'll see. Um, and then, okay, so where do you, where do like strength and mobility and any of that, that kind of stuff come in for you? Yeah, I try. So if I am, you know, in the beginning, I didn't do too much of it, to be honest. So like, until I really hit 30, it wasn't a huge priority, because we were doing a lot of strength work, inherently through a lot of the, um, the sessions that I was doing. So but then, you know, aging kind of starts to take a toll. And you realize like, we should start this sooner rather than later. So it's definitely changed through the years. I'm 34. I'm almost 35 now. Geez. Um, so it has progressed, you know, like I used to just do TRX, um, 30 to 45 minutes twice a week. Um, and then when I was training for some more trail oriented things, I started doing more like, um, specific weight training and some more mobility stuff around that too. And I found that I really liked that and my body seemed to really respond well to it. So we've kept that in there. And, um, so, you know, during Ironman training now I might be doing kind of one 
more weight focused type of thing and then one TRX session. So definitely want to make sure like core is strong and um, that I am though like I think there's a lot of science now to back up the fact that women should lift weights. I don't think I particularly lift like super, super heavy weights, but um, you know, I definitely go to a gym class that's local here that has weights up to like, you know, 30 pound dumbbells and I'm doing the activities with those and things like that. Certainly no upper body with that type of weight, but, um, (laughs) you know, maybe one day I can work up to it. But, um, you know, I, I found more than anything, I think, after 15 years of doing sports, like the strength side has definitely been like a fun outlet for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I enjoy learning to do kettlebell swings and just learning like the new stuff that comes along with that. I think is super fun. So, Mm -hmm. um, and there definitely is like, I just have felt, you know, stronger and a lot of the little niggles that have come out before are eliminated when I'm really on top of that strength routine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny when I first started kind of getting serious about the ultra running, we dropped a lot of the strength stuff out of mine, um, just to kind of like get my mileage way up. And now, like after a year of not doing it, I was like, I have to go back to it. I miss it way too much. Like, I feel so much better when I'm doing even just a little bit. But I need something. It makes a big difference. Even like you said, like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a few times a week makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I want to go quick hit tips for swim, bike, run from you. Okay. If someone, so this is just for like someone who's pretty new to triathlon, has probably like done one before, let's say. So they're not like completely terrified of the water or the bike or something. So best tips for swimming. Go. I would say... (laughs) Get an ankle band. So you uh, can make an ankle band out of like an old bike tube is what I use. And I just, you know, you cut it and you tie it around the length of your ankles. Like um, the swim companies now actually make them if you search like ankle bands. And basically it does exactly what you think it does. It keeps your ankles like essentially tied together so that you can no longer kick while you're swimming. And so that forces you to learn to use your core when you're swimming. It forces you to up your cadence. And so, you know, if you swim in a traditional master's program where it's like training you for pool swims, your master's coach is going to be like, you can't like, no, 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 this is messing up your stroke. You're no longer going for distance for stroke with this, you know, like your stroke is shortening. That's actually what you want for triathlon. So open water swimming is all about that just like fast turnover and it does not have to look pretty um, because there's no lane lines in the open water to give you that like nice smooth surface, right? So the ankle band swimming, especially for people who are not um, coming from like a collegiate swim program, is, is huge for like getting a lot of bang for your buck out of the yards you're able to swim. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. And it's funny, like I've I noticed like I don't kick really. I maybe mm-hmm. move my feet like inches. And when Peter was learning how to swim for Ironman, his legs were like flailing in the water because he's he's a cyclist. Like he's of course he's going to use his legs. Like that's right. that was what he was thinking as his like main propulsion. But I've noticed like yeah, if you can save your legs just a little bit, then it's huge. <laughs> everything it's huge. else is a lot easier. Yep, exactly. Um, I love that. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, weird one. Any tips for like the claustrophobic sense that you get in a wetsuit sometimes? Yeah, that's like super, super common. Um, it happens a lot with cold water, especially. And so if people can, you know, now I think races have started to realize that this is like a big thing for people. So a lot of times now there's like mandates to give you a warm up period. So even if the water is super cold, like that's when it becomes more important to force yourself to get in early and force your heart rate up. Like pretend it's the swim start right after you kind of get in the water and get your face wet and it's like frozen. Right. And like just get your heart rate up so that when the gun goes off or the whistle blows or whatever it is, you're, you've already had that high heart rate feeling in the water. Um, That helps a lot. And then I often use the counting technique, like in those first, you know, to that first buoy, just count to 40 and then count to 39 and then count to 38 and then count, you know, just count your strokes as many counting as it takes and just force your mind to stay on the counting and not thinking about anything else. 
Because Definitely a lot of don't time. think about the lake zombies. Yeah. Do not no, think about the lake zombies. Don't think about that. Don't think, yeah, don't think about the people hitting your feet. Like, as soon as you let your mind wander, it's going to wander to the fact that, like, you're nervous, it's cold, your heart's beating, your lungs, you know, air, air, air. And if you just keep that focused on the counting, you'll get to that first buoy. The water will be more clear. Things will be a little bit more calm. And then you can kind of get yourself together a little bit more. That is quite honestly, like the best Ironman advice or best like swim advice I have ever heard. And I've talked to a lot of people about this. I'm so sad that I didn't have you on in 2016. This would have been very helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Awesome. Okay. Bike. Best tips. First, I would say, you know, for someone who's done a triathlon and maybe wants to do an Ironman, do it on the bike you have. Yes. <laughs> like, for the love of God, please do not buy a $10,000 bike when you're not sure if you love Ironman yet. Um, buying speed is for sure a thing, but at the end of the day, like, your legs need to get you there anyway. And, again, we just – you will – I see it so it happens so much that people – throw money into it and then it just becomes a stressor because then they feel like they have to love it and they might not. Right. And so if you can just take away that stress of like having spent a huge chunk of money on something that you're then supposed to love, right. Just take that away. Do it on the bike you have. I mean, if it's a mountain bike, maybe try and acquire some kind of a road bike, right? Something like that. Like a standard (laughs) road bike, get some clip-on aero bars if you want. Do it on that and don't worry about it and then just get out and ride your bike. (laughs) Try and ride 100 miles before the Ironman, please. You know, if you can do it twice, that's even better. Um, And work on the nutrition because uh, fuel, like some of the best advice that was given to me was, the bike is just the buffet to set yourself up to have a good run. Yeah. And so if you can do that and then you can have a good run, like your experience is going to be so much better in Ironman than if you don't. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. And yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the first, yeah, the first Ironman I did, I had a dedicated TT bike and it was not great because it hadn't really been set up for me because I didn't have money to spend on a bike fit after I had bought this bike. Um, right. Second one, like I did my road bike, but I'd gotten good air, like good like clip on aero bars that actually like had the shifters and everything. But then I had a bike fit and everything was dialed and I didn't have, you know, five grand in debt that I was stressed on. So I could, yeah. you know, pay for a bike fit and buy whatever nutrition stuff I needed and all of that. So, and that, that, no, you can set up a road bike to be like, I mean, essentially the same as the time trial bike. And yeah, unless you're at the pointy, pointy end of the field, then they're really, you know, for quite a while, I would say, until you're sure you want to do it, then you don't really need the the specific time trial bike. Definitely. And unless you can spend a ton of time on the TT bike, which I mean, a lot of us don't necessarily have like roads around us where it's like easy to practice on a TT bike. So right. if, exactly. you can't, if you can't work on it, then why would you have it? And why would you race it? Ugh, drives me crazy. Um, <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, and then obviously the run is, I'm going to say like the most terrifying part because it's a full marathon. And for most people, a full marathon is a pretty big freaking deal. And not after you've just swam two and a half miles and run 112. Or yes. sorry, biked 112 best tips? (laughs) I think first on a mental side of things is to know that it's hard for everyone, right? So even when you see Marinda Carfrey at the winning end of the women's field and she's like looking like she's floating on air, she is still gutting herself to be running that hard. Mm -hmm. And it is really, really hard. And she would probably rather sit down and rest, right? At any given time. So like, understanding that it's going to be hard, I think is like step one, right? Like you do all the training and it's still going to be a hard day. Um, And then I would say the best other piece of advice would be to, uh, the aid stations are a very slippery slope. Um, In Ironman nowadays, like especially in the US, they put aid stations every mile. often and if you let yourself walk through the eight you know and some people's plan might be to just do that to do a run walk plan and that's a that's a different ball mm-hmm. game but um you know for people who aren't going in with that plan 
to keep running as much as you can, including running through the aid stations is huge because the time adds up so quickly. And so, I mean, if yes. you think about it, you stop to walk for one minute and that's 25 minutes, which is almost a half an hour to your whole marathon time. Right. And so it's like, that's just such an easy place for people to simply get to the finish line faster. Um, and you can like, I mean, it sounds dumb, but like, I guess you could practice it at home, but like you're, everyone is totally capable of grabbing cups and drinking on the run or like the shuffle jog. Like anything is faster than if you let yourself walk through each and every one of those. Yeah. Or I mean like five of them you could walk through. Right. Like yep. instead of 26. Like, yeah. <laughs> like every five miles, I will walk one and then I will run the next, you know, until mile 10, something like that. But don't bargain with yourself for everyone. That's yep. a slippery slope. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and okay, so this is this is a question that's kind of topical right now. You know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of people are on lockdown. A lot of people's races got canceled. A lot of people's races are in question for sure. A lot of people's seasons are getting thrown into, you know, just all these question marks right now. Um, so... Peter, when he's talking to his athletes, keeps coming back to, like, the, you know, talking to them about why they're training. Like, why are you doing this? And, you know, most of the time, the first answer is, like, to do this race. But then the second answer is, you know, for whatever other reason they have. Um, how are you getting athletes through this time? And how are you, how are you getting through this time? Yeah, so I, I think me personally, I have already built so much time kind of doing other adventures, um, that, and exploring other races, um, you know, like orienteering and, and, um, you know, adventure race type things and trail stuff. So, and having that really, you know, we are allowed to like leave on foot and go out. So I have access to a lot of things still personally, which has been great because, you know, like I realized that, um, Ironman Texas and Ironman St. George were canceled, so I had nothing to do for a while. Uh, I might have an adventure race in a couple months if that happens, who knows? But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do something that's going to keep me fit and keep me motivated. And so for the past couple weeks, I was like experimenting in how much um, vertical gain I could get, like instead of over miles, right? So I actually got through running and hiking last week 27,000 feet of a vert. Holy moly. <laughs> And that was really, I will say that was like extreme and very hard. Um, and again, I have access to mountains like in my backyard. Um, but, and I will say it was so hard that I realized like the Everesting thing is 30,000, right? And so Sunday came along and I was like, I'm like 2,000, like 20 so something. 20, yeah. <laughs> and then I like looked at my boyfriend and he's like, are you going to go outside and do it? And I was like, uh-uh. Like that, that was how hard it was that I was like, you know what? Maybe 30,000 will be for another week. So um, so that, you know, like that was just fun to me. And like, now I'm seeing like, okay, if I rest for a little bit coming off of that, like, how will I feel running something harder now in a few days, you know, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. so I'm kind of getting by doing, doing things like that. Um, I'll probably take my gravel bike out and pump up those tires and do some things that, you know, normally during an in-season time, you just don't get to do, but are fun. Um, for my athletes, it's the same kind of thing. And I think when I talk to someone who's really in a place where activity is very restricted, um, you know, first it's like, you just have to accept it and embrace it because having the stress of like wishing that it was different is not going to help us. <laughs> right. Yep. Like you can't, can't control it. Number one rule of Ironman is control the controllables. And that is something that we can't control. So we're throwing all of that out the window and then we're going to look at like what we can do. And I mean, sometimes it's like painful, but it's like when I race in Ironman, there's a lot of times where I'm like, this is so freaking hard, but at least I'm not doing 30 hill repeats like I've had to do in training before. Right. So it's an, a great opportunity to do these like terrible mind numbing, mentally challenging workouts and days so that you can look back on this time when you're racing and you're flying free on the highway, you know, at Ironman, whatever, and you can say, at least I'm not doing this. And like, I'm stronger because of like, I'm more excited to be here. I'm happier to be here and I'm going to enjoy this more because it's not that. Oh, and, like, I love it. Yeah. Those like the mental gain you can get from this time if you are really, really restricted is it's huge and it's very difficult. <laughs> I mean, you know, like there's, 
the mental training is sometimes much harder than the physical because there is no like benchmarks. There's no way to really prove to yourself like, oh, I did this successfully, right? So, um, but thinking outside the box, like we can get creative and I mean, again, if you have like a hill in your neighborhood or even a treadmill that does incline, like you can see how much vertical gain you can get. And it's like, it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But yeah, you just have to find something to get you out of bed and try and, you know, I like to get people doing that first thing so that they don't have time to let like the stress of the day take that away from them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. Um, And before we wrap up, we have to talk about the Iron Women podcast. How did you yes. guys end up starting that? And I mean, yeah, where where is it going? Where where can people find it, etc.? So that started actually probably well before people even really knew. Like it was at the very beginning, I feel like, of the podcasting stuff um, with Sarah Gross. And then she pulled me in pretty early to co-host with her. And we were – her and I had done some projects before um, – through some other things with Ironman and triathlon. So we knew each other and we knew that we both had a shared goal of raising women's voices in triathlon and making sure that they were heard. So she had the idea of the podcast. We started doing that. And then we had interviewed Haley Chura, um, a fellow pro triathlete. And Haley is a great talker. She's like full of life and spunk and fun stories and things like that. And so it kind of, you know, Sarah was looking at it as a from a business side of things because she was essentially getting ready to retire from racing at that point and realized that this could be kind of a way for her to evolve her role in the sport. And that would require being able to step away from the the co-hosting to be able to grow the bigger picture. And we knew that like I had known Haley for years and um, knew that she would be a good fit. So she did, she stepped right into that role and, and we kind of like, I still think we tricked her into it because I feel like we asked her to do like one episode and then was like, okay, you'll come back, right? Like this is the time next week, right? And so um, luckily she did. She stuck with it. And so now um, we are part of Live Feisty, which was the bigger parent company that Sarah formed out of everything. And um, she has uh, another podcast called If We Were Riding, some other things in the works that too. Um, And you can find all of that at livefeisty.com. And we do a lot of content just trying to, yeah, get women's stories out there. Um, the Iron Women podcast comes out every Thursday. And um, Haley and I have expanded from, like, just triathletes as well. So we interview a lot of female endurance athletes kind of on the all over the spectrum, which is fun. And it's been a really cool – you know, what started as, like, a passion project is actually now a business, which is – pretty cool too yeah no I've been listening to it a ton and I yeah absolutely love it and actually on that note though women in triathlon it's funny because I actually I mean I realize there are still inequalities and stuff but as far as like sports where I feel like men and women are actually pretty even I think triathlon might be the one that I would say like women have like a pretty pretty even thing I I don't know it why. Is. Yeah. So we are we are very lucky in that sense that like prize money, things like that is equal. The only thing we've have been fighting for is um for the world championships in Kona with Ironman, uh women still do not get equal spots as yes. the men to compete there for the professional level or the age group level, to be mm-hmm. honest. So um that has been an ongoing battle that I, I've been involved with pretty much since I turned pro in twenty fourteen and it's um, still a battle. So <laughs> we are working on that actually behind the scenes as much as we can. Um, and to be quite frank about it, it is, um, the only thing that keeps us from that, like total equality picture is Andrew Messick, the CEO of Ironman. Um, he just doesn't want to make the decision to change it. So at this point, it's just a lot of trying to prove um, our worth in cru- in, by increasing the women's numbers and getting more women in the sport so that he wants us to be like proportionally represented to get the equal spots. Mm-hmm. So um, we're doing that as much as we can, even though that's like a ridiculous ask of a, a male these days. But um, we're, we're trying to hit it from all sides, yeah. I guess, and, you know, and do what we can. But other than that, you're right. We are very lucky that um, women are seen, you know, as equals in triathlon, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely awesome. 
Awesome. Okay, so where can everyone find you? Everyone can listen to the podcast, but where are you at? Yeah, so I, I do keep a blog actually still. It's um, at alyssagadesky.com is my website, and I have my blog there. And then I, I'm most active on Instagram and Twitter, which is at alyssagadesky on both of those. And I am on Facebook, but Twitter or Instagram is really the place to like find me the most active. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. This is, we're going to have to have you back on because I feel like those like few tips on Swim, Bike, Run, we could do whole episodes on any one of those, and I'd be so excited. So... I'd love to come back. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor. Head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It you know gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, and it's just you know a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website. And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.